citizens! Welcome to the Fortress of Potitude. I'm Dave Michaels. And I'm Brian Betts. And this is Beria Movie. It's the show where me and Brian kind of toss each other movies back and forth, like Scott Sterling playing volleyball or something like that. Beering them, as one might say. Some might. I feel like you didn't appreciate Scott Sterling there for a second. Like, the, your face didn't even move. <laughs> it's tough to react to. Do you know what Scott Sterling is? I don't. He's a fucking legend. Soccer legend? Volleyball legend? He's a double letterer, man. Go YouTube him. But those are sports that don't matter. Okay. Oh, you want to do this? <laughs> are we doing this now? <laughs> Pretty sure this is America. I thought I was in America. Yeah, and I'm talking about football. Proper. Oh, see now now you've made now you've made a mistake. <laughs> now you done fucked up. We're gonna have problems here. We may, because this week, the movie we're talking about was beard to us from the audience the last week of every month. We got a whole list of movies that are, are there that we take in. It's a living list, send them in. Brian goes on random.org, literally just puts in numbers, and whatever spits out, we gotta talk about. That's what we gotta do. And here we are doing it. Patrons get two picks, don't forget. Patreon.com slash beer me movie. But non-patron Bill suggested this one. He threw it out there and it got picked. We're talking about 995's The Usual Suspects, directed by giant fucking dingleberry Brian Singer. <laughs> Brian fucker Singer. You want to do that? Because I'm, I'm considering I, it. I don't hate it. I don't love it either because it's getting so here's the close. It's, I feel like in situations where it could be the other word, but we still don't like the person, we, we throw in a fucker. We, I mean, we could do that. Like, possibly there might be a Kevin fucker Spacey in this movie. He's absolutely in this movie. This is a real problematic <laughs> movie after the fact. Brian, have you ever seen this thing before? Uh, guess what? No. <laughs> oh, shit. This is a first timer. This is a first timer for me. However, I have lived in the world post-1995, so I did know the twist ending going in. That's incredibly fair. He was dead the whole time. I couldn't believe it either. Yeah, I was like, Bruce Willis. I, who knew? Why don't you give me your thoughts on this movie? Then? As a first-timer, I have not been a first-timer since uh, somewhere in the late 90s. <laughs> this is a pretty fun movie. There's a lot going on in this one. I certainly hope so. This movie is like highly regarded through the ages at this point. I think the Screenwriters Guild or whatever writing association has this listed as the 35th best screenplay of all time. Not in Hungary. In Hungary, it's like number three. You mentioned the word Hungarian three times in a movie, and all of a sudden, a boom! They love it. They love it. <laughs> <laughs> so you saw this the first time in the late 90s, you said? Yeah. As a young theaters. Way too young. Way too young. <laughs> it's, it's a rated R guy. Yeah, I, I thought it was great. I mean, it's got a twisty ending. Who doesn't love a twisty ending? Love twisty endings. Love heist movies. Love twisty endings. Those two things are my favorites. Yeah, they're way up there. You make it a musical and forget it. I'm I'm so in. <laughs> oh, they're working on it. Gabriel Byrne singing with his indecipherable accent. What'd you think this time? I think this time that the greatest trick the devil ever played was convincing the world that this is a great movie. Uh-oh. Yeah, this is a weird hot take in the chamber that I was not ready for on this I movie. wasn't ready for that either. <laughs> we'll get there, man, but... uh. I still like it. Don't get me wrong. Okay. Okay. Man, it, it's way off the pedestal. <laughs> and it's not because of the Brian Singer, Kevin Spacey part of it. It's not. We'll no. get to all this stuff. I mean, I'm sure that gives you the opportunity to look at it with different eyes. Sure. But I looked at it with uh, normal people eyes also. And statement stands. We'll all get right. There. We will get into that. I'm sure. 
How about we start reviewing this thing? Obviously, we have a very scientific score. It's super arbitrary, but we score everything zero to 100, 10 different categories. We get it right uh, based on the Rotten Tomato critical or audience score. We got to pound whatever we're drinking, and so do you, because it's a team game. We're all in it together, folks. That's right. You're part of the team now. You clicked play. You're one of us. One of us. 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 Welcome to our lineup. If we drink, you drink. Uh, I dig that part quite a bit. How about we get into it? What has Ryder McStrikely done this time? What disaster? Does he talk about the movie? Ryder McStrikely does talk about the movie this time. Oh, we're back. Unlike last week where we had to kind of veto and and get away from whatever he was talking about because he was talking about marriage counseling or something. Uh, This week we have two characters. (laughs) And it looks like I might have to be doing an accent this week, so that'll be interesting. I had to talk like a woman with varying accents all last week, so that's fine. (laughs) Actually, you didn't have to. You chose to. You went full Miss Piggy. (laughs) Acting is a series of choices. (laughs) Well, what we have here from Ryder McStrikely is a meeting of the Loch Ness Monster and Sasquatch discussing the legendary creature that is Kaiser (laughs) Sose. Okay. (laughs) I'll be playing the part of Nessie, and you will be the Sasquatch. Uh, fine. The part I was born to play. Yeah, naturally. Are you ready? I'm ready. Here we go. Story and motivation. Let's keep that in mind. And action. Gather around, Sasquatch, and prepare yourself for the tale of deception and wits that'll make your first end on end. Have ye ever heard of Kaiser Soze? Huh? Kaiser Sneezy? Wasn't he at the last mythical creature convention signing autographs? No, ye big galoot, Kaiser Soze. The man's a ghost, a legend whispered in the dark corners of the underworld. Some say he's not real, but I've heard tell he was behind a devilish plot in the year of our Nessie, 1995. You're doing it exactly like a Scott, too. There's no emotion in anything you're saying. <laughs> Just going back to your castles and your dreariness. Yeah, don't worry. Halfway through this, it's going to become completely Eastern European. Oh, I can't wait. <laughs> Because it gets you off of whatever you're doing now. Oh, yeah, no, I can't stick to an accent to save my life. Dude, go Hungarian. (laughs) They'd love it. Let's get those listens, those Hungarian (laughs) listens. I'm hungry for Hungary. I'm I'm more hungry for Turkey. We'll get there. (laughs) Okay. I can't believe I'm saying that. We will. Really? And what did this Kaiser fellow do? It all started with a boat docked in the Sancti Anam Irish. (laughs) It happened so quick. (laughs) It all started with a boat docked in the San Pedro Bay. A massive explosion it was. 27 dead, and the only survivors were a crispy, crunchy Hungarian mobster and a gimpy con man named Verbal Kint. Kevin Fucker Spacey. Verbal? Like, he talks a lot? Precisely, you furry oaf. He's the one who spun the yarn to the coppers. A tale of five criminals brought together for a police lineup. Dean Why do you have... Every single line. Like, I feel like this is like an all about Eve situation where I'm just starting to lose my shit a little bit that I got this slight John C. Riley thing going on that I want to explore. (laughs) And I have to listen to whatever bullshit you're doing. I got to go through. Yeah, this this is not. Do you want to switch parts? No, absolutely not. I think it's good for the listeners to hear my voice every once in a while. Ah! See what I did there? Look at you! (laughs) Self-burn. Go through the lineup! So there's Dean Keaton, Gabriel Byrne. Gabriel Byrne. Gabriel Byrne. That's the right move. You lifted uh, the fucking as much as he lifts one of his eyes. I don't know which lazy eye he has or whatever it is. (laughs) 
<laughs> He's a corrupt ex-cop termed criminal. Then there's Michael McManus, played by Stephen Baldwin. Pause to see if Dave's going to correct me, and he's not. I'm not. I mean, he doesn't deserve a fucker. He doesn't deserve a fucking. For what it's worth, he's never killed anyone. (laughs) Oh, boy. Wow. That's a a recent, somehow recent again. (laughs) I can't believe it either. (laughs) He's uh, somehow the most milquetoast person in this cast. Somehow. Michael McManus is a hothead with a penchant for explosives. Fred Fenster, Benicio del fucking Toro. Yeah, that's fair. Who was just described here as McManus's partner. Yeah, fair. And Todd Hockney, Kevin fucking Pollock, a hijacker, and verbal himself the poor cripple. Sounds like a regular who's who on the naughty list. <laughs> Good job with your line. Thank you so much. I practiced. Exactly. They team up for a heist, thinking they're pulling one over on the police, but little do they know. They're dancing to the tune of a much deadlier Piper. That Piper's name is Kaiser Sneezy? Soze. Kaiser Soze. Keep up, sass. Now these lads, they think they're clever. They think they're being manip... But... (laughs) (laughs) It broke you. One word that was more than two syllables. You're like... (laughs) (laughs) Lose an accent on those three-syllable guys. (laughs) Now these lads think they're clever, but they're being manipulated by a lawyer named Kobayashi. Pete Postlethwaite. You motherfucker. How dare you? (laughs) I was waiting. (laughs) One of the finest actors of a generation. And you're just like, nah, throw this one. Let Dave have it. I don't want, I want you to respect. Peter fucking Postlethwaite. Thank you. Apologies to the Postlethwaites. Kobayashi, who claims to be Soze's mouthpiece. A lawyer? I don't trust them. They're like the jackalopes of the human world. Kobayashi convinces them to destroy a boatload of cocaine owned by Soze's rivals. But the real plan is much darker. Soze's enemies are on the boat, and he wants them dead, along with anyone who knows his secret. See? Eastern European. Yeah, I guess so. I like how this movie is somewhat linear with the occasional... I don't. I, I almost look at it as like a flash forward to yeah. the interrogation, not so much the as a flashback. I agree. It's a, I don't know. I've always kind of gotten that impression out of it. It's not. I know that. I think it's it's because they open on the explosion of the boat instead of the interrogation room. Yeah. And then they do the zoom in onto the weird rope pile that it definitely look empty, but they want you to think that there's something there. There's somebody back there. I think maybe HD has not been friendly to this movie. (laughs) So they all go kaboom because of this Sozy fella. Aye, but here's the kicker, Sasquatch. As Verbal weaves his story to the dogged customs agent, Kuyen, played by Chaz Palminiteri. I'm not correcting you there. Chaz with two Zs, that is. Sure. Kuyen believes he's closing in on Soze's identity, thinking it's the cop-turned-batty Keaton. Keaton? Got it! He was Soze! No, my friend. That's where... <laughs> <laughs> they got what, real was Russian? Time. What just happened? I comrade. That's where the tale takes a turn. After Verbal's release from custody, Kuyan realizes too late that the whole story was a patchwork of lies, pieced together from a crowded bulletin board in an interrogation room. Worst detective ever. (laughs) For like a million reasons. So many reasons. (laughs) A bulletin board? What does that have to do with anything? Everything, Sasquatch. It means Verbal made it all up. And as he walks away, shedding his limp and his persona, we see the truth. 
verbal kint is Kaiser Soze. No way! The talking guy was the sneezy guy all along! The very same. And just like that, he's gone, vanished into thin air, leaving Agent Kuyan with nothing but a shattered coffee cup and a story so improbable it must be true. Had you not known what the twist in this was, would you have guessed it? Um, I think probably. I think I would have figured it out as they killed off every other main character. It's a really interesting thing, and it's not to say that, I guess, writing has gotten better, worse. I'm not quite sure what. This is an Academy Award winner of a screenplay. Right. right. But it might be that this movie inspired so many things after it. We'll get there eventually. That's true. That's true. That it becomes almost easier to guess it. Yeah, they lean so hard on Keaton that it feels like it can't be him. Yeah, we'll get there. I know. (laughs) (laughs) There's a few things in this that are like dead giveaways. And there's a couple really neat tricks that they pull off also that I never noticed before. Screenplay, I feel like we're going to have conversations about. That's the one. That sounds about right. So, the gimpy one was the mastermind. That's twistier than a pretzel. He's got a pretzel in his head. Precisely. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. As Kuyen pieces it all together, Soze disappears like mist on the lock. I do love that spacey look of like, when he does that right. Oh, it's beautiful. It's a, it it's a great way to go out. So good. Well, Nessie, that's one heck of a story. But if he's real, you, you think we'll offer him? Who knows, Sasquatch? Maybe we already have. Maybe he's closer than we think. Maybe he's just a legend like us. Now let's go scare some tourists. It's what we do best. I don't look at these things before we, we do them. It's all a surprise to me. Brian hides it until we, we talk, and that's kind of the fun way to do it. But there was a really big part of me. I thought you were going to say, oh, no, Sasquatch. Maybe. Just maybe. He's killed his entire family already. <laughs> just to make sure that nobody else could find him. I'm sure there was a version that I deleted that had that in it. (laughs) (laughs) It did the whole entire thing that maybe Kaiser Soze in this movie did or didn't do. Unsure. Who knows? Which is the fun part of it. I'll give you that. Yeah. I'm right behind you, Nessie. Maybe I'll tell him about Kaiser Sneezy. (sighs) It's Soze, Stas. Kaiser Soze. Story motivation. What are you thinking, Mr. First Time? It's pretty good. I like... That there is this uncertainty about all the events of the movie, because obviously it's being narrated by verbal slash Kaiser Soze the entire time. So who knows how much of it's true, how much of it isn't. There's a whole thread about Keaton being a good guy now because he found love with this this lawyer. But that might not be true at all either. We have no we have no way of knowing. There is no way of knowing if anything actually happened in this thing. All we know for sure is that Kevin Spacey sat in a room reading stuff off of a bulletin board and then got picked up by Kobayashi after he left. Can you imagine if that's the pitch that they went in with on this thing? Like Christopher Corey's just like, listen, I'm going to put Kevin Spacey in an office. He's going to read a bulletin board. That's the movie. Well, that's like uh, two, two minutes worth of footage. Yeah, I know. I think that's better than the actual pitch for this movie. <laughs> I think it might be. I actually really like this story. I think it's very cool the way they set it up because the entire idea of this story just came from five characters in a lineup. Yeah, we want to put these five criminals together because we think it'd make a cool poster. And Claude Rains once said a line about the usual suspects at the end of Casablanca, one of the most famous quotes of all time. And Brian Singer's like, hey, that would make a really cool title for a movie. Round up the usual suspects. 
Story motivation, man. I think I got to go eight. Eight. This is feeling very familiar from a week ago already. Oh, yeah. Jesus. We went on an eight run, didn't we? There were a lot of eights last week. But I agree with you. I think I think it's pretty high, but I can't give it more than an eight. I feel weird giving it more than an eight for reasons I'm about to tell you. Not yeah. here, maybe? I don't know. I'm picking my battles. Let's talk about casting. The casting's pretty good. It's 1995. There's a lot we don't know about Kevin Spacey yet. He's a great actor to pick for this. He did win an Academy Award for it. Yeah. And he also probably slash possibly slash allegedly slash definitely had relations with Brian Singer's assistant. Brian Singer's French boyfriend. That's what it was. Yeah. Who's also his assistant. Definitely shut down production for two days of this, what was it, like a 35-day shoot? Yeah, it wasn't long at all. They squeezed a lot of this in in such a short amount of time. Yeah, so did Kevin Spacey, if you know what oh, I mean. Oh, boy. Uh, inappropriate. And I made a, a a dead film person joke earlier. <laughs> <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> Wrong Baldwin. I like the casting of this thing. Kevin Spacey's really I good. I mean, he's a terrible person, IRL, but. So yeah. It's a pretty good performance. Gabriel Byrne. Yeah, he's here. They want to make him like the central figure, and I don't care. He's in the movie. He's definitely a guy. He's got good hair, and occasionally his head is either too long or too wide, but never at the same time. <laughs> well, If it was both at the same time, it would be just right. Stephen Baldwin, again, he's a Baldwin who's never killed anyone. That's aces. They went with the right Baldwin, I guess. Kevin Pollack, great comedian, great actor, shows up in this thing. It's a real subdued performance, and it works. Moisha Maisel, gotta love him. A weird young Giancarlo Esposito? So young. Okay, I was shocked by how young Giancarlo Esposito and Benicio Del Toro looked. Well, Giancarlo Esposito isn't doing his now Giancarlo Esposito act that he does This was before life. he was typecast as a villain. Exactly. He's like a very high energy person in this, and it's strange. Yeah, as FBI agent Jack Bayer, not Bauer. Bayer. Uh, Dan fucking Hidea, obviously. Peter Green, who I forget exists until I see him in things. He pops up and you're like, oh yeah, that guy. But Benicio Del Toro is the one I want to talk about the most. Let's talk about Benicio Del Toro. <laughs> I'm dying to talk about Benicio Del Toro. His entire purpose for existing in this movie is to die. And that yes. is directly from his mouth. So he said, <laughs> holy hell, I could do anything I want. And Brian Singer was like, yeah. Go ahead. And Benicio Del Toro got a dialect coach to teach him how to do whatever it is he's doing. <laughs> this marble mouth jumble of <laughs> nonsense. Absolute nonsense. It is complete nonsense. And then he also, being the great actor that he is, didn't tell anybody in the cast what he was going to do. So everything that you see in the lineup scene is genuine. Yeah. Uh, they said that he farted like 12 times during that scene, and nobody could keep a straight face. And Brian Singer really wanted them to be, like, stoic during this scene, but they could not get a, a solid take of them just not bursting out laughing for one reason or another. Well, Brian Singer completely caved and said, you know what? Fine. This is their bonding moment. Are you happy, boys? Are you happy? <laughs> There's a lot of reactions in this movie that are just like, what the hell did he just say? And they're all very legit and out of character, mostly. I want to go with a seven for casting. Okay. Gabriel Byrne's the one that rubs me the wrong way. And which is tough because he's one of the main characters. Like, he's one of the two main guys. He is. And he's Irish. 
be Irish or don't be Irish. Don't be <laughs> whatever you're doing. Like, even if you want to go like comical Irish, go for like Southie or something like that, but don't do what you did. It doesn't work. <laughs> it blew my mind when I saw the, the list of names of people that were considering for this movie that they Everyone? just didn't get. They just like Al Pacino was really interested, and he's like, I just did heat. Never mind. And Walken was way up there too. Walken was, yeah, which would have been so good. Casting six, seven, seven. Casting seven, but I like the way you just said six there for a second. But I already wrote down seven, so I don't know. All right, how about this? Six Benicio bump. I agree with that. Six with a Benicio bump. Next category is the protagonist. You tell me who it is. Who? Because I've, I've written down. They're the same. It, it could be verbal Kent. It could be Dean Keaton. It could be the police. I have no idea. Whoop, whoop. This is the sound of a four. <laughs> One of the scripts that writer McStrikely did had a much more dumbed down version of Sasquatch, who actually <laughs> at one point just get, just said, wee woo, wee woo, the police are here. And you deleted that. And, and now and I deleted show's that. over. I'm done. It's, uh, <laughs> I felt like you needed more to say. Oh, I'm sorry so. I deleted that version. <laughs> and you still complained about the version that was lengthier. So It's true. It's mostly because I was talking about the usual suspects and I had every right to complain. We'll get there. <laughs> protagonist. Four. I'm four sticking protagonist. with four. Yeah. Let's talk about the antagonist. I have the same three people listed. Kaiser Soze. Yeah, him. Him. I want to go in like that seven range again, man. Okay. I can see that. This is so fucking maniacal what he's pulling off here. How he has Chaz Palminteri just yelling in his face how stupid he is. And all yeah. his face he does is rubbing in his face like, well, I was in a barbershop quartet in Skokie, Illinois. In Skokie, Illinois. Uh, what do you want me to tell you? Oh, were you a soprano or were you an alto? No, I was a bulletin board. <laughs> That's what I sang in the barbershop I sang, quartet. I sang bulletin. Oh, what songs did you sing? Kobayashi Mug. I mean, <laughs> Kobayashi we Mug. had a bunch of hits. <laughs> I feel like Verbal Kint is probably the protagonist and Kaiser Soze is the antagonist. But that doesn't really make sense either because they weren't really working against each other because they're the same person. No, but I like the reputation that Kaiser Sose has. Yes, but I feel like you're rooting for verbal in this movie. They want you to. Right. But we'll get there with screenplay because I do want to talk about this in great, great, great detail. I can ruin this movie for so many people right now if you want me to. I just think it's interesting that Kevin Spacey he brushed who over was- it smart. Yeah, we're going to wait to ruin it for just a little bit longer. Kevin Spacey won Best Supporting Actor, but for all intents and purposes, he's the lead character in this movie. That's how confused it is about who the protagonist and antagonist are. Okay, so let's dumb that down then a little bit more. Do you want to go four? It feels so dirty. It feels low. It feels five, very low five, for antagonist. Five, five, five. Five for protagonist or antagonist? Antagonist. We're done with protagonist, man. Moving on. I was going to say, well, you started with a seven. I did, but you've talked me out of it. I didn't mean to do all that. You did it. So like six? I think six. <laughs> okay. That's fine. Uh, be careful. Final warning. Next up is screenplay. All right. So the screenplay of this is both really, really good and really, really silly. Yes. And I say it's really, really silly because Detective Kuyan, whatever he is, I like that they put him in a strange office. He's in Dan Hidea's office in this, so he doesn't right. really have the lay of the land. He doesn't detect the really obvious bulletin board behind him that has everything <laughs> there. 
And what's worse is that he never, ever even considers Verbal Kint as anything more than just this cripple, this stupid right. person who Dean Keaton has completely taken over. He's completely put this man under his thumb. It's right. all Dean Keaton, Dean Keaton, Dean Keaton. He pretty much is like the Trump talking to the Republican Party of, I'll say what you want to hear and you tell me what I want to <laughs> hear. And uh, that's it. Now we're done. Not a political podcast. Still not. Verbal says in the movie, like, you already have in your head who you think it is, and all you're going to do is follow that lead until you prove yourself right. Correct. That is exactly what it is. Exactly what he does. But Verbal also even doubles down on the barbershop quartet from Skokie, Illinois, just to make sure as the audience, us dum-dums, we get it. And that's a smart move. It is a smart move. You said this movie was really big and uh, hungry, right? Yeah. Was it really big in Turkey, or did the twists not land for them? I don't have any information on how well it was received in Turkey. I say that because on Wikipedia, they say that Chris McCory came up with the idea for Kaiser Soze, the name, because he worked on a law firm called Kaiser Sume. So awfully right. damn close. But he had a roommate who had an English to Turkish dictionary and the word Soze in Turkish, which they say Kaiser Soze in this is Turkish. It translates to talk too much. Talk too much. Also, uh, I believe there's a German translation that basically Kaiser Sose is King Blabbermouth. There you go. I mean, it's all out there for anyone who speaks more than one language. <laughs> so all Americans, <laughs> so, so screwed, man. Exactly. Not This twist was going to get you every time. <laughs> I think Kuyan is the weakest part of this movie. There's no detecting going on. And that's the part that bugs me. And I'm not the only person that this bugs. Because for the yeah. first time ever, I read Roger Ebert's review on this movie. Oh, okay. And he gave it one and a half stars. Oh, no. It's down there for him. He said, the first time I saw The Usual Suspects was in January at the Sundance Film Festival, and I began to lose track of the plot. I thought it was maybe I'd seen too many movies that day. Some of the other members in the audience liked it, so when I went to see it again in July, I came armed with a notepad and a determination not to let any crucial plot points slip by me. Once again, my comprehension began to slip, and I finally wrote down, quote, to the degree that I do understand, I don't care. <laughs> Yikes. He uses a word here that I really, really, really like, and I use quite often, as you know. He said that Chris McCory and Brian Singer would have been better off unraveling their carefully knit sleeve of fiction and just telling us a story about their characters, those that are real in any event. And he finished by saying, quote, I prefer to be amazed by motivation, not manipulation. Ooh, okay. When you think back to some of the biggest twists in this time, because this is when being a little twisty, it worked because people weren't yeah. expecting twists at this time, at least not right. to this extent. These were like kind of groundbreaking twist times, especially when you look at something like The Usual Suspects and The Sixth Sense. Yeah, this is Four like the pre-Shyamalan era. Right, and I would say that these are two of the bigger twists from that era. Yeah. What M. Night Shyamalan doesn't do is he doesn't manipulate. He lets the characters tell the story. You see the motivations between the characters, and the story right. progresses, and that's why that twist is insanely effective. It works so well. In this, you have one guy yelling another guy trying to get a confession. That's it the entire time. There is never, ever, ever a doubt in Kuyan's mind that it wasn't Kian. That's true. And the story that Verbal was giving him fully said it wasn't fucking Keaton. The story starts off with Keaton being murdered. Correct. 
So I don't like being manipulated in movies. I feel like it's such a cheap ploy to use. I would much rather the motivation lead the way like a sixth sense. That being said, the first time I saw this, it worked great. Watching this with a bit more of a critical eye, I felt dirty. I feel like going in knowing that Kevin Spacey was Kaiser Sose really took away a lot of the storytelling that could have happened. But it didn't, even without knowing that he wasn't Kaiser Sose. Nothing happens in this movie. Yeah, it is just a guy in a room yelling at another guy. That's all it is. And then finding out, oh, that was the guy I actually wanted. Damn. Oscar winner for best screenplay. Screenwriters Guild has 35th all time. I don't know how either of those work. Screenplay, <laughs> I respect the twist. I respect the legacy of this movie. Five. I want to give it a six. Yeah? Yeah. Done. Fine. All right. <laughs> I, I feel like bad hating it, but nah. Yeah. If it doesn't land for you, it doesn't land for you. You know, there's nothing you can do about that. I mean, it doesn't get close anymore, and that's on me. I mean, I've seen it. Twisty movies don't always work, and I appreciate how in this movie there are certain things like the Barbershop Quartet in Skokie, Illinois, that Verbal tells Kuyan while Dan right. Hiday is out of the room. Dan Hiday would have probably picked that out in a second. He's like, well, hold on. I sit in this room constantly. I know what this bolt board says behind me. Exactly. It doesn't have the same rewatchability that something like a Sixth Sense has, because you can rewatch the Sixth Sense and pick up on all the little clues along the way. And it has more impact than this one does, I think. Right. Uh, we had multiple questions about the twist, obviously. Uh, we also had multiple statements of people just yelling, give me the fucking keys, you fucking cocksucker motherfucker. Yeah, that, that checks out. <laughs> <laughs> but Mike Lanham wrote in, and he said, one of the greatest endings ever, but once you've seen it, it doesn't quite have the same wow factor anymore. Do you have a favorite example of this in cinema? Sixth Sense is what comes to mind immediately for him. I sort of agree now that I've seen Sixth Sense multiple times, but the first rewatch I remember was just as special because you're looking for all the clues and they're exactly. all there laid out when you're actually looking. Yeah, I feel like the Sixth Sense actually pulls something on you that when you rewatch it, you appreciate, whereas this one, you feel manipulated. Absolutely. After the fact, you for sure do. I think one of the movies that has the biggest wow factor for me that doesn't hold up as much anymore is I remember the first time seeing Return of the King. And it was in theaters, day of release, all 700 endings landed. Okay. <laughs> I like that you said all 700. And now I get to like two of them. And I'm just like, okay. Okay, let's let's end this. When you have Aragorn getting crowned the king and then just the whole, oh, you bound to no one, lands every time. And then after that, I'm like, yeah. you peaked, man. You completely peaked. I'm good now. The opposite of that, I would say Clue. Clue works every time. You're every absolutely single time. right. Because they saved the best ending for last. Exactly. One that didn't land for me the first time I saw it was The Village. That's, that's okay to me. It did not the land. The Village, the twist hits and you're like, I don't care. That has nothing to do with the rest of the story at all. It doesn't have any impact on it whatsoever. It's dumb. No, it's a lazy like twist. It. It's a super lazy twist. And I think it's in there just because somebody... Told M. Knight that he has to do twists now all the time. He got really type-directed. It's weird. Yeah, big time. Phil Hot Take Hawkins also wrote, and he said the first time he saw this movie was when he was in college, when he stopped by a friend's house and came in just as Kevin Spacey was making his big reveal at the end. He asked <laughs> us, what's your most memorable movie experience where the twist ending was spoiled before you got a chance to watch it? Phil, that is dangerous fucking ground. <laughs> We haven't called Micah Spoiler King in a while. We haven't. 
I used to get like anxiety whenever a Marvel movie or DC movie was coming out in theaters because I had to go the Thursday before because a lot of you fucks who listen to that show would write me like, holy shit, I can't believe this happened. And I'm sitting there going, I got three kids, man. I don't have time to do that yet. Calm down. It's like noon on release day and somebody's like, I can't believe that Glorbdy Borp snapped the infinity bullshit and everybody died. It's like, I know that halfway through that became a real example, but <laughs> give give us time. Well, that's why Disney Plus now gets it, because now they're doing their releases at, I think it's 9 p.m. Eastern for yeah. everyone. They used yeah. to do it at midnight West Coast time. So then you wake up in the morning, if you're on the East Coast, like normal people, like people in real time, so not that gimmick bullshit where they just start, oh, we're an hour behind. Our sun stays up longer. Or science stuff. Okay. I moved recently, and now we're in different time zones, and Dave's a little bitter about it. <laughs> I am. We still record at the same time. It's just an hour earlier for me. It's true. You're more awake. I don't like you when you're this awake. It's weird. <laughs> Let me tell you the best movie experience I've had with a spoiler getting completely obliterated. And it was when The Matrix Revolutions came out. <laughs> I went right after, uh, I was in high school, then, right after school with a bunch of friends. We go see it. It's great. I'm a big fan of that movie still. Don't ask me why. I've had head injuries. I feel like last week you said they could have stopped The Matrixes after the first one. <laughs> they could have. Because that would have made it perfect. <laughs> I love that we're a week away from you saying that. You're like, I loved Revolutions. I did. I loved Reloaded, too. That chase scene that they did on the, the highway chase scene is, is awesome. so good. There's so I many cool moments scene. in that movie. As a trilogy? No, it's completely fucking busted. But <laughs> <laughs> Individual like movies, it. they're all fun. After we get out of the theater seeing Revolutions, we're walking back through the movie theater, going back to the car, and my friend Kenny runs into a movie theater where Revolutions is just about to start and oh, yells, no. opening the doors, Neo dies, and then slams it. And my God, that theater erupted, and it was wonderful. That sounds fucking terrible. Yeah. As a person who sat in a theater before once, I can say that would have ruined my experience for sure. <laughs> As a person who's worked in a movie theater, I would have hunted that guy down and <laughs> murdered him. Murdered him. <laughs> because of all the rain checks I would have had to give out to a full theater. You can't do that, man. That's how you get a Phantom of the Theater or something like that. And then they just are popping down. They're like, yeah, Bruce Willis was dead the whole time. And you're like, oh, come on. Come on. It's, it's opening night. How do you know that already? I used to have that anxiety walking through the lobby going to Marvel movies on Thursday nights. Be like, I hope somebody walking out isn't going to try to spoil this for me. I actually have worn headphones into theaters to avoid that. I, and I'm not. I understand it. I understand it. I don't trust anybody. You know who all of you are. <laughs> Where are we? I think we're still talking about screenplay. We gave it a six. Moving on. We gave it a six. Style and tone. I don't, I don't know. There's <laughs> nothing special about any of the way this movie looks. Not really. I, there's a lot of motion happening, even in scenes where they're just sitting and talking. The camera's moving all the time. Yeah, and the cinematographer said, he's like, oh, yeah, I mean, it's a lot of people just sitting around talking. He's like, I had to put in these really subtle movements that you don't notice. And I'm going, you don't think we do, huh? <laughs> like, I know the screenplay thinks we're all idiots, but do you too? I've got news for you, pal. I'm, I see your dolly zooms. Style and tone, three. There's nothing special about the way this thing looks. 
It's a movie that was made to support a poster. Great poster. It's a fantastic no denying poster. That. They should have stopped at the poster. <laughs> That's their <laughs> matrix. <laughs> no, no, I don't actually mean that because the movie does have merit. It sure does. What doesn't? Let's talk about the director. The director is a very gross man who put together a totally fine feature film. Yeah. But a totally fine feature film that got a lot of praise and then landed him an entire X-Men franchise. Also true. How about <laughs> you score the director on this thing? Because he kind of just let the actors run wild for the most part. He really did. But at the same time, I read that he convinced every single character that they were Kaiser Soze. Kevin Spacey said in an episode of the Colbert Report that Brian Singer managed to convince every single one of the major actors that they were Kaiser Soze. And when they first screened the movie that Gabriel Byrne was so upset that he had a half-hour argument with Brian Singer in the parking lot because he was so convinced he was Kaiser Soze. But that doesn't check out to me because when they shot this thing, they shot all the Kevin Spacey interrogation room stuff first. Well, maybe Gabriel Byrne isn't a very smart man. And as a director, your job is to find these not very smart people to get believable performances out of them I don't know. I'm thinking like maybe like a four or a five. I'll go with a four or five minus one because the way this movie opened up, it said Brian Singer's film, The Usual Suspects. It's like he's trying to do like a Spike Lee joint type angle, but it just became cocky instead of yeah, awesome. Yeah, it's like his third movie. Uh, yeah, I'll go uh, four. Okay. Can I make you even more mad? Can you? He describes the film as double indemnity meets Rashomon. That motherfucker. He went double Mount Rushmore directors for me with Billy yeah. Wilder and Akira Kurosawa. And he said that he made it so you can go back and see all sorts of things you didn't realize were there the first time, which he didn't. It's not. It's not. Nope. <laughs> he also then compared it to Citizen Kane because all of right, the film three. structure. Get off your high fucking horse, Brian Singer. <laughs> He's like, yeah, it's like Double Indemnity, Rashomon, and Citizen Kane, and also the Anderson tapes. Cocky motherfucker. Yeah, you know, just three movies. <laughs> Looked at in the history of film, easily top 100, all three. Easily. Yeah, easily. Probably top 50, easily. Yeah, yeah. Three for director. I, I love that he's canceled. I love it. I hate that he got canceled for being a bad man, and I just wish he got canceled for being a giant lack of fucking talent. <laughs> but you know what? I'm happy that Hugh Jackman still gets to play Wolverine. Yeah, that's wonderful. I can't wait for Super Bowl because they said they're releasing the trailer. Very excited about that. So a three for <laughs> Brian Singer. Fuck it that been guy. Would have been a five, but he got the Brian Singer bump, which is a negative two. If they literally took Brian Singer's name off of this and threw on anybody else's name but kept the movie the exact same <laughs> yeah five or six easily did you see that new cyan bringer movie it's not bad <laughs> next category is music john ottman it is john ottman it's really good he is so good at what he does but he's also the editor so it helps it does help and i wonder do they get a discounted rate having the editor do the music no way double down, or is baby. he is he making double money because he should be that's two different unions, man. Double bunny money, because I did accidentally say bunny there for some reason. <laughs> double bunny money. Got to get that double bunny money. Yeah, music's great in this thing. Seven. Yeah. I actually really like Seven. it. It works. It all fits. Next up, we have the box office. This movie did not come out to a lot of fanfare. Opening weekend, it 
also came out with Mortal Kombat and the Babysitter's Club. And Mortal Kombat won the weekend by a lot. Because it made John Ottman's score look like a bitch. (laughs) It sure did. Uh, The Usual Suspect opened 18th at the box office. Whoa! Movies like Dangerous Minds, Walk in the Clouds, Something to Talk About, Waterworld, Babe, The Net, Apollo 13, and A Kid in King Arthur's Court rounded out the top 10. Man, I haven't thought about A Kid in King Arthur's Court in so damn long. Daniel Craig's in that movie, and so is Kate Winslet. That's wild. Yeah, it is. (laughs) But eventually, word of mouth got around to this movie on its $6 million budget, made $23.3 million, which is a 389% return investment. Wow. Which is a nine on our scale. I'm almost happy it didn't get the 10. When you look at it from a $6 million budget, does it make it feel a little bit better? Yes, absolutely. Except that this is like just a bottle movie in multiple bottles. <laughs> we took all the bottles and put them in a little bit bigger <laughs> bottle. And that bottle is in the shape of a bulletin board. Nine. It's a nine for box office. <laughs> Final category, impact on the industry. Huge. Enormous. It's a 10. Flirting with an 11. Absolutely massive. It's the usual suspects. I don't know. It's influenced posters. I mean, it made the big twist like its own genre for the most part. I feel like M. Night Shyamalan doesn't have a shot without this movie. You're right. We don't get the sixth sense without this movie. He says unknowingly. (laughs) We get some crappy Philadelphia movie. (laughs) That's all Philadelphia movies. No, uh, um. Unbreakable was actually good, so I'm not going to I I'm agree with you there, that. and I like how you went to Unbreakable before you went to Rocky, so that's a choice that you made. Oh, I was still on the M. Night train. <laughs> okay. You could have called it the M. Train. I would have known exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> well, it was it, the M. Train also runs during the day. I wanted you know make sure I was very specific. I'll go 10. I don't want to go on 11 because- No, because the people right involved- even though they, the involvement of Kevin Spacey and Brian Singer might actually be a bump higher into the impact of the industry, but I think 10 is a safe place to land on this one. That is going to give The Usual Suspects a total score of 63. Yeah, I feel fine about that. It is way lower than super low. critical score of 88%, audience score of 96%. Probably wow. actually too low overall because I, agree. I thought this thing was going to land in somewhere high 70s. Somewhere in the 80s, low 80s, yeah. maybe? We but, were uh, a little hard on oh, boy. Singer and Spacey. Yeah, well, they deserve it. They do. It's a great pick. I enjoyed going back and rewatching it, but I, I got happy my issues. That I've actually seen it now. Now you know what everyone's talking about. Perfect. I already knew what they were talking about because I knew the last scene, and that's basically the whole movie. That's a good point. <laughs> but now we're at the point where it's time for me to ask you, Dave, to bear me a movie for next week. Beer us a movie. Beer the world a movie. Well, I got a question for you. Oh, okay. It's a busy time in your life right now. I know you just had your big move. My big move, yeah. So I'm giving you two options. Oh. One of them is more lighthearted, fun, with someone relevant in it now. And one of them will break the show. And your choice is, you want fun and lighthearted? Or do you want to break the goddamn show? Oh, I'm always tempted to break the show, but I'm still breaking in my space. So I think I'm actually leaning toward the, the lighthearted goof em up. I'm saving the, the showbreaker then for another time. All right. Oscar nominations just came out the day we're recording <laughs> this, sure this thing. And a certain man named Paul Giamatti is getting his due this time. He's amazing in the holdovers, folks, but that's not what we're talking about. 
I want you to think about Paul Giamatti holding that little golden boy during the next Academy Awards when he finally wins it and then go back to see where he came from because we're talking about 2002's Big Fat Liar. Yes. Oh, no. (laughs) Hold on. (laughs) Is this because of all the stuff I said about Frankie Muniz a few weeks ago? Yeah, it kind of clicked in there. I was like, holy shit, Frankie Muniz is in that movie. I'm pretty sure Amanda Bynes is, too. Oh, that'll be fun to talk about, I'm sure. With, obviously, Paul Giamatti in his finest role. (laughs) I don't know. He was a pretty good rhino in The Amazing Spider-Man 2. I'm ignoring that statement completely. Next week, it's 2002's Big Fat Liar. That is very exciting. Until then, thank you guys for listening. Be sure to rate, review, subscribe. Send us your movie suggestions for next month's listener pick, like Bill, and like our patrons who get two picks and are more likely to get picked. I swear it. Speaking of Patreon, join us, patreon.com slash movie. This month, we're talking about the Garbage Pail Kids movie. (laughs) That movie happened. I am forever unclean. As It is going to live rent-free in my brain for the rest of time. (laughs) I think that one's due for a reboot. No, thank you. Pass. Hard pass. The hardest of passes, in fact. (laughs) Email us your movie picks, questions, and comments to beermeamoviepod at gmail.com or follow us on social media at beermeamovie on Instagram and Facebook, where, of course, we always put up our, our post asking for your questions and comments. And thank you to those of you who left those questions and comments today. Brian! You got anything else? That is it for me. Fantastic. Thanks for hanging out with us. Thanks for listening. You guys are all the best except for one of you. You know who you are. We're going to see everybody next week for Big Fat Liar. We'll see you then.